The 80s were an era of musical excess, and photographer Mark Weissguy Weiss was there to document the biggest and most dangerous bands of the time. From Van Halen, Ozzy, Metallica, to Bon Jovi, Motley Crue, and Guns N' Roses, the Decade That Rock podcast will look back at the period's most historic music and moments through Mark's iconic images. New interviews with rock stars both old and new will give fans a backstage pass to the most hedonistic era in music. Along for the ride is me, Mark's co-host, Greg Alpern, music journalist, comedy podcast host, and 80s rock addict, and I'll help shape the conversation from a fan's perspective. Come with us for a decadent celebration of the decade that rocked. Today we're, we have a, our, our first or earliest uh, awesome rock guest, Don Dokken, and uh, I think the best way we can start this out is finding uh, from you, Mark, how you guys got together, what you first started working on, and just some early stories you may want to uh, talk about uh, with Dokken. Yeah, um, I believe I was working with, uh, with uh, was it? Bryn or was it George Dassinger over at Electra? Um, uh, that would have been uh, Bryn Breidenthal or uh, it was Bryn. It was Bryn because I was Bryn working. With, yeah, I was working with her with uh, Motley before that. Before and, she went to a Gatham, yeah. Yeah, and uh, they said I got this band for you. Uh, they're gonna love you. You're gonna get along great. And uh, Don's a real character. <laughs> so yeah, I, uh, I said, I said, cool. So we did this photo shoot. First time I met him. We, uh, I rented out a studio and I wanted to, you know, instead of shooting bands up against backdrops, uh, I like to like have some kind of prop where they're leaning against something. So I scurried around and I found this metal kind of cage thing. I think it was just something that was like left over from some display case, some store went out of business. And I said, oh, that looks cool. I'm going to make that into something cool. And oh, then I put it in there and I put each, each guy inside uh, this little area. So they had something to hang on and feel comfortable and all that. Uh, and that was our first shoot. I remember they all walked in. Uh, I mean, I remember Don, Don looked so cool, you know, he reminded me of Speed Racer, you know, like the cartoon character. He had this <laughs> chisel, chisel cheekbones yeah. and he, he looked cool as hell. Everyone did, I Jeff. Mean, and, I was and clean shaven and 30 pounds lighter. He, he looked like, the part it was it was awesome and then there was george who kind of you know he was kind of like buffed and everything you know he's kind of a little muscly um not too crazy the way he got eventually but uh but he had this hairdo like it was like kind of like uh the kasha gugu hair you know like kind of blonde and you know and Pointy. mixed brown you know i don't know it was it kind of threw me a little bit but you know he did, did look like a rock band haircut i i actually didn't realize why he had done it and the reason he had done it because he had dark hair but he's prematurely gray and he was tired of dyeing his hair all the time and coloring his hair and he just said well fuck i'll just do a blonde on top then you won't notice that it's gray so that's why he did it i think okay it was it and kind of worked. You find out these days he's totally gray now yeah right right yeah we're all i'm all gray i'm gray but you know i i remember i said what because i hadn't seen him either he just walked into the session. I was like, what's with the Kaja Gugu haircut? <laughs> yeah, it was all blonde on the top and black on the bottom. And plus he cut off his hair. His hair used to be like past his shoulders yeah. and he had whacked it off. And I was like, what the hell? That, but, uh, yeah. yeah. So that was the first shoot. It was not really a, a, a monumental thing. It's like, it wasn't a, uh, it was for publicity photos for Tooth and Nail. And Correct. they used, 
they used it for, you know, everything, you know, all the magazines got their free photo and I did individuals and, you know, they got some good play out of it, but it was my introduction to the band and we really hit it off. We got, went out afterwards, went to the rainbow. And then once, once they started getting on some tours, uh, they took me along with them and it just kind of like, you know, kind of our relationship kind of snowballed into, uh, right. And you should come on the road with us and hang out. Yep. And I remember, uh, Whenever I came to LA, you know, I always looking for a place to stay, you know, because I would, you know, the record company would pay for me for a couple nights, but I ended up staying for weeks. Right. So Don's like, you know, well, come over to my place. You can sleep on the couch. And then, and then it, that was fine. You know, he always had some hot girls over there and they always had friends. And uh, so we always, uh, you know, had some fun. A right. uh, little hot tub action, I remember. And then we're at the yeah. house. You know, he had this. He had this cool house in was it Culver City or Manhattan? Yeah, the Hobbit House. It was the Hobbit House. It looked like a Hobbit House. It was. It looked like something out of like a storybook, you know. And right. and uh, it really did look like Bill uh, Bilbo Baggins lived there. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the guy, Mr. Joseph, who lived in front. Yeah, there were eight eight apartments he built, and he built every single. He was a shipbuilder. That's remember, so all the inside yeah. of the house yeah. was a boat. It did look like a and boat. The floors yeah. and the, there was like little things you could pull down for desks and all the furniture was built in. And yeah, it was yeah. actually a very romantic and charming, you know, the big giant vaulted ceilings. And, you know, you bring a girl over there, it was like a done deal as soon as it came in. And then when Don went on the road and I was coming in, I said, hey, you know, uh, he, he would give me keys. So, uh, yeah. So I'd, I'd have keys and, you know, there'd be girls knocking on the door and I'd say, Don's not here, but I am. But I am. So Don, you must have you must have trusted this uh, lanky New Jersey guy to give him the keys to your place and uh, let him do his thing. Well, and, you know, and I had to have somebody to, to take up the slack on the booty calls, you know. <laughs> Someone had to pick it up. So what are you what are some of your early memories of working with Mark and and his his style and and what he brought out of you guys? Well, honestly, you know, by the time we'd only done one photo session, we'd done breaking the chains. We did it in Germany, uh, which was funny because the original album cover was called, the album came out, it was called Don Doc, and there was no docking yet. I hadn't met George and Jeff. I mean, they weren't in the band. Right. So when the album came out, this guy chained me up in this like fish market that just stunk to high heaven. And he was a famous photographer apparently, but his name was Werner Herzog. But the, the funny thing about the photographer was, is he was blind to one eye. Wow. And I thought, uh, how could you be a photographer and have any depth of field? Right. You know, so that was my only time I'd ever done a photo session. And he shot me and he shot Juan Crucier and uh, cause Juan was with me. And then after that, I don't think I ever did a photo session again. Mark was probably the first guy to shoot us because, you know, we got the we got the deal on Electra, and I didn't even know what a photo session, what was involved, and makeup and hair and wear your clothes and making. Mark would go put your chin down and put your chin up a little bit and you know straighten out your jacket and I didn't know anything about that stuff, so we were all pretty green, and I think we looked like that. You know, you don't know how to. I hadn't mastered the uh, art of pursing my lips. You know, I needed to get. <laughs> he learned. Pretty, he learned pretty quick. I, he was a good study. I, I had to get. I needed. I hadn't met Brett Michaels yet, so I had to learn how to do that. 
Bringing the cheeks. Yeah, I'm sucking the cheek. Lucky for me, I, I was so thin, like you said, I'm because I'm Norwegian, I got such high cheekbones. I mean, my cheekbones were, were sunken in so far anyway. I just looked <laughs> natural. Yeah, so. he, he had a good look. And then uh, I remember, uh, uh, you know, then we started uh, the Under Lock and Key album, which was, uh, you know, we started, everyone started trying to outdo everyone with uh, with their dress, dressing, you know, so. What a fiasco. So we had we had Ray Brown and, and uh I don't know. You tell the story. I know, like the first. I know the first time they saw those outfits was at the day of the shoot, and we spent so much money on it, preparing and cutting out the keyhole, and yeah. uh, and then ten thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars on those freaking out for four outfits, ten grand. So, so they come in, and there's all these different colors, right, Don? Is that so, oh, yeah? I was like, Don, you're blue, and Mick's gonna be purple, and Jeff's green. And George is going to be whatever color red. he was. Red. He was red. red. Red, right. But, you know, we, you know, we went and got fitted. And, you know, he was doing like Motley Crue and Judas Priest and Twist, all kinds of bands. But when we showed up to go put those clothes on, I went, we're not really going to wear these, are we? I had tails. I looked like a circus ringleader. Uh, <laughs> I had a tuxedo tails hanging down. And, Mick looked like a waiter, in my opinion, and it was awful, man. And I still regret doing that, um, those clothes, because we fell into the whole, you know, everybody's got to have cool clothes and outdo somebody else. And I think Ray missed the mark on that. I remember our manager, Cliff Bernstein, used to always say, Don, you look a lot cooler just when you show up in your jeans and your leather jacket riding your Harley, I mean, you just, and your motorcycle boots, you, sh you should just dress like that. And I said, no, look at Motley and look at Poison and look at all these bands and look at everybody's got these spandex. And uh, it was just kind of, you know, and so we did it. And uh, it was interesting. You had, you had a partner then that used to help you. I can't remember his name now. And, uh, but I was that big giant. It, it, we, you know, we shot it at the old, um, bread company, they used to be a famous Helms Bakery. Yeah, that's where you know that it was Helms Bakery, and they turned it into studios and photo studios and stores. And yeah, stuff. yeah. So in 1985, when we did the photo shoot, that was like to me that that year was when everyone went high hair, flashy clothes. Ozzy yeah. had the Liberace outfit, uh, it was yeah. poison, but poison that was poison, you know. But Molly yeah. Crew, uh, I mean, any band for that one year, uh, you know, give or take six months, had that look. And that was it, you know. And, you know, it might have helped get them on MTV because that's what they were looking for. So in yeah. that respect, in that respect, you know, you, you know, it was the sign of the times and it is what it is. And the music, as, as we know, kind of, stood the test of time so it was he did but you know there was an upside and downside to that because 10 years later you know when you see that picture you took of us i mean i remember mick he would take like a towel and he would go like this on his head and go like that his hair would be like a foot high then he'd spray the hell out of it with aquanet and then jeff would like pull up all these hairs and spray them with aquanet and george and my hair was just always so stringy and straight i didn't do it and it was just like, oh, my God. But, you know, that kind of bit us in the ass, you know, because 
even though we were more of a hard rock band, you know, we had songs like Kiss of Death, Tooth and Nail, Lightning Stripes Again. We toured with Judas Priest, ACDC, and Van Halen, and we never toured with any of those bands you were shooting. We never, we never toured with Poison or the Wingers or the Warrants or any of those bands. So, um, but we kind of got lumped in because our hair was so big, right. we became a hair band. I don't think people paid attention to the music. I mean, yes, we had our commercial videos and In My Dreams and It's Not Love, but because our hair was so out big, everybody's trying to get bigger hair, uh, you know, then, then you get stigmatized as you're a hair band, which to me is a derogatory statement. You know, obviously we're much heavier than a lot of those quote unquote sunset strip bands you shot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You Except know, for Molly. Molly was heavy, you know. Yeah. I, you know, I grew up in the eighties. That's where I kind of came to my musical enlightening. Right. And, and I was a fan of all kinds of music, my music influences and what I listened to run the gamut, but I was very centralized in the hard rock and heavy metal um, world as a, as a teenager and still to this day. But when I, when I think that hair metal thing, I could, I would list 50 bands before I would even attempt to set put Dokken into that like it doesn't even enter my mind that that is a, a you know a category but I understand obviously that because of some hairspray and stuff that people you know that that kind of gets lumped in there sometimes but as a fan of the music I've never ever felt that ever you know when I think of it I think of Poison you know and, and Warrant and some of those right you think of the Warrants yeah, yeah. and yeah. that we escaped it enough because thank god we had the heavier songs you know right. yeah yeah you did yeah. escape it good though and and uh you know even today i mean you know uh you look back at that image and it you know it, it gives people it it does help people give memories you know uh to that time and uh and to, oh. say, and to say outrageous it was you know like it's it was the 80s were really outrageous and uh it is it was you know i don't know what happened you know, the 70s weren't like that. The 90s weren't like that. The 2000s are not like that. But definitely between 81 and 89, I mean, it, it was, yes, I admit it was the, the, the decadent. It was decadent and uh, it was before AIDS. And But I think one of the reasons, probably because we were all so young, nobody was married, nobody had kids. You know, we didn't have any rules. And the girls wanted to meet you, so we didn't have any holdbacks. It was just, you know, I mean, some of the things that we did on the bus after the shows, I mean, it was insane, you know? I mean, it, it was what rock and roll was designed to do, and we did it, you know? We, oh, yeah, we did. <laughs> Full tilt boogie. <laughs> so what about some of the other other bands, uh, Don, that uh, you had, like, relationships with, you know, that, that stand out? Any, any good stories? Anything funny? Anything sad? Uh, well, all of them, you know, the people always ask me, who have you toured with? And I say, no, I think it's the wrong question. It's ask me who I haven't toured with. Right. I mean, come on, Metallica, Van Halen, Scorpions, ACDC, we did stadium tour with them in uh, Europe. The one thing I remember about ACDC, you know, we we toured with those guys the whole like ten countries, and I think I only talked to them like twice. <laughs> they weren't big talkers, real quiet, you know. And you know, Angus always had a cigarette in his mouth, and he'd just go, "Hey, mate," that was it. Just, "Hey, mate," 
And uh, of course, you know, they know they're, they're little guys, you know, even Angus says that they're just little guys. That's why Angus plays an SG because he said the Les Paul and the other guitars were too heavy for him. He liked the Les, the Les G's, the little guitar and a little neck and he had a little shorter fingers. And uh, I just remembered, I always felt kind of funny because every time we go on stage for sound check, we always had to grab the mic right away and raise them up about two feet. <laughs> you know, the, mic, the mics were down here. I'm like, hope they're not watching me do this. So I take the mic and raise it back up. Then the guy after the show would run back out there and lower the microphone back down for ACDC. Everybody loved Dokken. I mean, everyone loved having you as an opening band. I know that. And you were just, uh, I know after um, Under Lock and Key and you had, you had those hits, uh, you, you ended up on an iconic show. Monsters of Rock. Monsters of Rock. And, and, but before that, I was referring to is uh, Dick Clark, American yeah, Band. That was, you know what? That was one of my highlights of my career is being, I was 10 years old, 11 years old, 12 years old, watching everybody from uh, uh, David Bowie to Prince to whoever be on Dick Clark's American Bandstand. And when they pulled that off, uh, Sue Satriano, our other publicist, her and Bryn worked together and they said, we got your American Bandstand and they were gonna go off the air. That was gonna be his last season. You know, he was, you know, getting a little older. But I just remember going in there, we had to be there at 5.30 in the morning. And that was really early for a shoot. And uh, yeah. same thing, you know, we had a girl make us some clothes and yeah. she showed yeah. up, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and she whipped out this leotard. It was blue with little straps and it was like tiger stripes. And it had these funny jacket. And I went, oh no, not again. Not again. <laughs> so I said, look, get some scissors, man. She had big puppy. I looked like a pirate, I had big puffy sleeves. And I said, I said, I didn't mean puffy. I meant like, you know, hanging down, kind of like Jim Morrison and she got it all wrong. So I'm like, cut off the sleeves, cut this off, hurry up, hurry up, get me a belt, do something. But, and same thing, if you look at the Dick Clark, American Bandstand, man, we all had huge hair. Hair was just like, it just reeked of Aquanet, you know? But uh, that was the times, man. You know, Mark shot them all. So yeah, I was there. I was, was there with you for American Bandstand. You, you yeah, know, you wanted to make sure that you know anything, anything that that was important. Anything you know, the video shoots, uh, um, the Freddy Krueger one uh, over in Boston. Did we shoot that in Boston? Uh, Freddy Krueger, no, we shot that in Simi Valley in L.A. out of the soundstage because they had put all the, uh, what do you call it, the, the walls, you know, the props from his Freddy's Hell nightmare. Yeah. All those props have been put away into a prop house. So they took us out to that prop house. And I remember uh, Patricia Arquette, you know, people don't realize because she was only like 17 in, in that movie. I think that was her first movie. Yeah. Yeah. Patricia Arquette was, uh, that was her first movie. And so she had to come on the set, you know, and do her little thing, walk toward George. And and uh, I just remember she was really busty and it was really freezing cold in the soundstage. He just had a couple little space heaters. And uh, how do I put it nicely? Uh, her high beams were on. <laughs> and I said to the director, I said, um, I don't know, are you going to get this on TV? I said, I'm just... 
I'm just giving you a heads up that she's got that t-shirt on and I can, all I see is nipples sticking out like eraser heads. And he didn't, he hadn't noticed it and he, he went, Oh shit. I can't, I can't, I can't shoot her like that. So we had to stop and they had to tape them up and reshoot a bunch of her scenes because her nipples were literally sticking out like eraser heads. So he had to, he didn't notice it until I brought it up and I'm, and he had to reshoot all our scenes because of it. How did that come about? The Dream Dream Warrior, uh, you know, was it the? They contacted story? us. Um, that was the first song ever that somebody told us we want you to write a song, but it has to be called Dream Warriors. They already told us what the title was. The chorus has to say Dream Warriors. That's the name of the movie, <clears throat> and that's what you have to do. <clears throat> I never had anybody tell me, you know, what lyric I had to write. Did they show you the, did they show you a script? Did they show you any, 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 uh. Yeah. yeah. They showed us, well, they actually had the tree on what do you call it, the dailies. Okay. The, the time codes. Cause I said, well, what's it about? I mean, I know it's Freddy Krueger, but yeah. what's it about this dream Wars thing? And it's all about these kids, you know, falling asleep and he comes in their dreams and, and, you know, they're afraid to go to sleep because Freddy's going to show up. Well, when you see that first scene, it was easy to write. I lie awake and dread the lonely nights. I'm not alone. I wonder if these hungry eyes will face the unknown. When I close my eyes, I realize you'll come my way. I'm standing in the night alone. It's about Freddy coming to his dream. So it was pretty easy to write lyrics about what the movie was about. So that was that was pretty cool, and hanging out with Freddie, of course, was cool. Robert England is a a gentleman, and the poor guy didn't eat for about eight hours because he had four panels, like panel, a panel, a panel, a panel, a panel, and these were the prosthetics of his burned up face, and they glue all the all the panels on, and he couldn't eat because it was all glued on. And we buy, took a break and they sent out for pizzas about 20 miles away because we're in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> it looked weird because he was eating and then one of his pieces of face started to fall off. Oh, wow. And it looked like he was melting. And I said, Robert, your, your face was falling off, buddy. <laughs> and it was kind of funny. That's pretty wild. So I, I, I'm just kind of curious about that whole Monsters of Rock tour, right? In 88, there was what? that I mean, that went on for like six weeks. It was... 30 some odd shows. Or yeah, something. we played a million people in six weeks. Right. So, I mean, when you look back on that and, you know, I, what it, it went Van Halen, Scorpions, you guys, Metallica, yeah. Kingdom. Kingdom Come. I mean, that's, I was at that show in New Jersey. I grew up in Northern Jersey. It was at the Giant Stadium show. It's certainly a highlight of my earlier concerts. Um, but, I mean, how is it touring on something of, the bands of that nature when you're like all of those guys going together for six weeks was there camaraderie was it everyone hanging out by themselves like what what is that like well i expected it to be like absolute you know mad like tons of models backstage like it had been before and runway models playboy pets playboy bunnies it wasn't like that at all right. it was absolutely like uh, family hour and he was married to Valerie and they just had Wolfgang I just had Tyler I had my son come on the road 
His mother brings Tyler on the road. My manager just had a son. He brought his son on the road. They're all about like one year old or something like that. Yeah, they're born in 88. And uh, I thought it was going to be this like massive party. We got these five huge bands. It's going to be insane parties backstage. It wasn't like that. We just, they had barbecues every day and we had a semi truck with a kitchen built into it. And they cook. We had a hundred people on that tour or more. Yeah. And so we had to have our own kitchen and cooks to cook for a hundred people. The, yeah. the crew, the staff, the bus drivers, everybody, uh, the engineers. But I thought it was going to be really uh, decadent, but it really kind of wasn't. I mean, I have happy memories of that tour and I have, you know, unhappy memories of that tour. Here we had risen from Germany, you know, playing in front of little clubs on the Reeperbahn, and we'd made it to the stadium level. And then our manager said, you know, your next tour, one more album, one more great song, you'll be headline arenas, you'll do a world tour, you guys will be at the top. And I tried, and this is my band, I put it together, I, I'm the one that got the record deals, and, and for me, it had to leave my own group because I couldn't take it anymore with the, the, the drug abuse was just so excessive on that tour. Wow. It wasn't just the guys in docking. I mean, I'm not going to say who, cause it's not my, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus, but there was just Coke everywhere. Coke, 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 Coke. The crews, the roadies, the engineers, the, the bus drivers, it, there was just Coke everywhere. And I don't do Coke. I never, you know, Mark knows. I, I never got into drugs. It wasn't my thing. I like my red wine. And, uh, it was just crazy, you know, people staying up for days at a time. And so, you know, of course you get irritable and agitated and then the, you know, the arguing, the bickering starts. So that was, that was the bad part about that tour. And the other part about that tour was opening up for Metallica, you know, I mean, Metallica opening up for Dawkins, even though we were making a lot more money than them. Uh, I kept calling my manager, who also managed Metallica. I, I was with Cliff the night he signed them. Him and I went to the Troubadour to see Metallica play. And he said, "That's these guys are going to be huge. And honestly, I didn't see it. Right. You got to remember, when he signed Metallica, I mean, they had Def Leppard. And there was, you know, band, and they just signed uh, Queensryche. And they had Tesla and they had Dawkins. And, Journey was on the radio all the time and, you know, commercial big productions. And when I saw Metallica, I was like, I don't, I didn't really get it. I didn't dislike the band. I just, they were heavy and aggressive and I didn't get it. I couldn't see how that band could become commercial enough to be on MTV and to sell hundred million records. Right. And I obviously was wrong. <laughs> Cliff was right. Cliff saw it. My manager's like, these guys, he goes in six years. You remember he said six years are going to be huge. And I said, well, you know, whatever, you know, so he did. And sure enough, they, they, they conquered the world, but to open up for Van Halen, I mean, uh, Metallica, I mean, I, I kept telling him, can you put them on after us? Like, can we make it like kingdom come Doc and then Metallica and then Scorpions Van Halen? because it's a little hard when they're singing Kill Em All or Foom the Bell Tolls or what are those songs, right. and we're singing In My Dreams and Just Got Lucky. Yeah. It made us look like a pop band. They were so heavy, yeah. and I really respected uh, Metallica's 
uh, mindset. It was 110 degrees in Texas. We did six shows, hotter than hell. Could barely walk on stage. But those guys had this attitude like every show was their last show. Every show was do or die. I never saw, ever saw Metallica slack. They just went out there, full pedal to metal, full tilt boogie, in your face. They had an attitude like we we're gonna conquer the world. And I respected them for that. And we were kind of like, hey man, we're docking, we're famous now. We'll just go out there and sing and you know, hang out and run around the stage and it'll, it'll all be good. But it wasn't, we, need, we, we probably needed to step it up. But they made us step it up a little bit. But Dawkins, because I was hired to shoot Van Halen's tour book, I remember. Uh, yeah. And, and really, Dawkins was would be the perfect opening band for Van Halen. You know, they really, they, it's like a perfect fit. Scorpions and Van Halen was perfect. Yeah. And even Kingdom Come. But Metallica was like the bastard child. They were the metal band of the tour. And, you know, I've toured with Van Halen's, you know, I toured with Van Halen. We used to play with Van Halen at the Whiskey. You know, so I've, I've known Eddie since with the whiskey days. And then, of course, I toured with Scorpions and I get some background vocals on the record. And so everybody knew everybody. I think the most fun on the Monster Rock Tour was after the show because we're all staying at the same hotel. And everybody knew it because you see eight tour buses in the parking lot. Yeah. And we would go into these um, clubs, the uh, hotels sometime. I kind of felt bad for them. And they'd have bands in the bar, like a little three or four piece band playing Little Red Corvette. And we'd just go in there and Eddie just walk up there and go, let me see that guitar. He'd just grab it and I'd get on the mic and somebody would jump on the bass and we start singing going down, you know? <laughs> so, and, the, and, and these, this, these poor guys are like, who are you guys? You know, and we're like, just don't worry about it. We're just, <laughs> just, just Take a break. We're going to yeah. go up there and we're going to jump. And we, we were just, covered. the Scorpions and, and everybody, we just went on stage and yeah. took over and we wouldn't, and we would just play the blues and play jams, you know. I mean, those must be some legendary tapes if they exist. They would be, they would have been. I mean, absolutely. And I remember all the women would usually, to, since you couldn't get backstage at the concert, because honestly, the Monsters of Rock was on heavy lockdown because of people had their wives on tour, their kids on tour. Basically, there was like, there's no chicks allowed backstage, no groupies, no nothing. If you're not with the band, you're not getting backstage. So you'd walk backstage in this huge areas of tents and everything. There wasn't a lot of people backstage. It was a very, uh, just working and yeah. It wasn't like, you know, we went on tour with like Aerosmith. It was like a, a, an orgy every night. Right. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I just remember that. And so we'd all kind of get that out of our system and go back to the hotel and all the, all the girls would show up, you know, at the hotel and then things got a little nuts. Right. I, I'd be in the photo pit and they go, where are you guys staying? And I was like, you know, <laughs> uh, Hilton. <laughs> it's Mark's fault. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, well, at the Hilton, it's going to be going on at the Hilton, you know. I mean, there was girls, they're they're walking up and down the hallways. They just get on the elevator and start walking up and down the hallways, listening to see if they hear people talking in the room, the party, and there was just hot chicks with six-inch heels just walking around the hotel. It was amazing. Mark, did you shoot I'm not complaining. Did you shoot that Monsters of Rock tour? 
Yeah, yeah, I was Van Halen hired me to do their tour book. So I was in the beginning. They had a party in the beginning, a press conference uh, where they had this big Godzilla behind them. I remember, or a gorilla for Machos of Rock. Uh, right. I remember I did a photo uh, that Mick set up. There was these blow up dinosaurs, and he, I remember he did a '69 on them, and I took some photos. It was kind of cute. You know, <laughs> that sounds about right. That's fun. Sounds about right. But I would always be going like to, you know, even though I was shooting Van Halen, I would be, you know, go to the other bands. I shot the Scorpions. I shot, you know, you know, Dom was warming up. So I would, you know, shoot during the, and during the day, it's great for a photographer. You know, you get all the bands, like kind of warm it up. Yeah. I actually, I believe I shot Kingdom Comes back cover shot they used after that uh of them saying goodbye to the crowd so i think they used that the first time i met them uh the only band i didn't shoot was metallica because uh at that point uh i did i did the publicity photos with metallica uh when right after cliff died and jason joined the band so i was hired by uh by the george dassinger to to shoot the publicity photographs and uh I don't know. The band liked me. Something with uh, Don's manager wasn't crazy about me. I couldn't never get a solid answer out of him why he didn't like me. Although his reason was he just didn't like my photographs. Right. And so he, he didn't let me shoot. I had an all access pass to shoot the whole tour. And I got pulled out of the pit when Metallica was playing. He didn't want me shooting him. I got, I was really upset. I was like, what do you mean? You know, I just, you know, I did one of the last photographs with Cliff was in the band and then the band then they hired me to shoot these photographs at the San Francisco Bridge that everyone loved. And then next thing you know it, I'm thinking I'm still in with them. But for whatever reason, and I still don't know to this day. So, Peter Mensch, if you can uh, let me know, I'd, I'd love to know, you know, we'll uncover. He, he wouldn't even let me shoot uh, Beggars and Thieves at the Stone Pony 10 minutes from my house. That's, wow. Yeah. Well, that's Peter's Peter. And I don't know. I just, you know, and, and he kept saying his answer was, I just don't like your photography. I'm like, oh, okay. I still huh. don't know. Anyway, there's still, send, you know. You, are you, gonna, you should send him a book. <laughs> actually, no, I actually just reached out to him because uh, they reached out to me. They wanted to use a lot of my photographs from those shoots in uh, that special fan uh, packaging they did. And, right. uh, I gave him permission and you know, everything's fine. I still yeah, don't Maybe he really doesn't like my photography, but they use the pictures. Yeah, I got to like them enough. They got to uh, like them enough for that. But uh, I just reached out and I said, I want to send the guys um, each a book because uh, you know, it, they're featured in the book and uh, you know, the classic moments and things, you know, things happen, who knows what it is. Maybe I said something that I shouldn't have said, or maybe something happened. I don't know. What happens? happens. Well, they're my managers for a long time. Yeah, if you did something or said something, rub them the wrong way, they would stick with them. Yeah. And I say stupid things once in a while, and I don't know. I lost a lot of friends that way, like Harry. Harry, I don't know what Very I did. Wrong. I don't know. My best friend, I must have said something, you know. But <laughs> That's who it was. I wish I could find him. Because you remember Melissa? I was dating Melissa. She was my engineer <clears throat> at Total Access. Right. And one day she came into the studio and she was so pretty and she had a pair of jeans on and the ass was all ripped out of them. And uh, he, he took her in the other room and he was shooting me and Harry put her up on like this little pedestal and took these amazing shots of her torn jeans with her ass hanging out. And I thought, oh my God, that could be a great poster. And 
you know, I had, I don't have a copy of it, unfortunately. I'm sure Harry does. <laughs> Sounds like a good poster. It was an amazing ass. Trust me. I So, so Don, I mean, we, we, let's, I'd love to talk about the, the most recent um, album of lost songs you just put out. Yeah, it's really been a strange uh, journey. Uh, I didn't expect much about it. Um, the COVID hit and I was right in the middle of, you know, writing the studio album. We should be on tour right now. Yep. We had 40 dates booked with uh, Lynch Mob and Lita Ford. COVID hits, everything goes to hell in a handbasket. Then I have surgery. I come out of surgery with a paralyzed arm, which it, obviously you can tell it's still, that's it. Yeah. So all I can do is this and barely move my fingers. So it's been 10 months, not getting much better. So I guess my guitar playing days are over on that. But uh, so everything happened. And then I bought this 64 Stingray convertible, really beautiful Corvette, but I couldn't leave it outside in my house in Beverly Hills because there's trees and bird shit. And so I said, I need to clean the garage out. So I did. So I cleaned the garage out and I found this box of two inch reels. And I said, two inch reels? I haven't recorded on analog tape in 25 years, all Pro right. Tools. Took out the reels of tape, pulled out the tracking sheets. Says Michael Wagner, Hamburg, 1979, November. And there's another two, two inch mix and it says, Media Art Studios, Redondo Beach, 1978 and 79. I'm like, what the hell is all this stuff? So I went and found somebody. It wasn't easy to find somebody who still owned the two-inch machine and uh, put all these songs up. And it just turned out it was all the demos that I had recorded in 1979. Wow. When I, we were a three-piece. Juan Crucier was playing bass. I was the lead guitar player, lead singer. Greg Pecka was the drummer. And we were a three-piece to the tour of Germany. And then I met Michael. And then after these shows, he'd say, if you want to go to the studio, you know, and record some demos, you're welcome to. And we're like, sure, we'll come over. We stayed up all night drinking Southern Comfort. It was really awful. That's what Michael liked. <laughs> and uh, so I cut all those demos and those, uh, those songs disappeared. The tapes disappeared. Then I came back to America. And I think what happened was you know, most bands keep their tapes in storage. It's called Iron Mountain. It's a huge building down in Hollywood. Right. Everybody from Led Zeppelin to the Beatles to Van Halen to Aerosmith, you keep your tapes in a temperature-controlled, dehumidified environment so they don't turn rotten. And I think when I gave all my masters back to Warner Brothers, I grabbed the tapes that were mine, my demos. Right. And I stuck them in a box and threw them in the garage, and that's where they sat for 35 years. So I'm talking to the label, I'm talking to Silver Lining. I said, you know, I got all these demos and there's some pretty damn good songs on here. There's even two songs that are live. Michael recorded us live at a club in Germany. I said, it's kind, of, it's kind of a cool peek in the window of me as a little kid at 23, four years old. I don't know anything about what I'm doing. I've never been in a studio before. And over the next three or four years, I was recording demos anywhere I could go for free. And that's what these songs are. Wow. That's awesome. Wow. Reappeared. So 
I didn't think anything would happen with it. And all of a sudden I remixed them, you know, the best I could and mastered them. And a couple of songs didn't have solos. So I had John put a solo on it. And a couple of songs had drum machines. I put real drums on them. And, and um, the press has been awesome. Everybody loves it. They think it's cool. It's not high fidelity. It's not audiophile. It's just, uh, it's just, uh, it's, a, it's a snapshot of my life years before Dawkin. Right. Uh, yeah. As you know, Dawkin of Jeff, George, and Mick. Yep. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's very cool. It is. It's like a snapshot into some super, you know, very cool stuff to hear. Um, yeah, I think it's great. I, I'm psyched you put it out. It's it's pretty cool, especially to uncover it after 35 years sitting in the back of a garage. It's pretty wild. Yeah, we had nine songs on one of the tapes, but only three or four would play, and then the tape just just like turned into globby glue. It just stopped playing. It was over with. Yeah. So we got one pass at it, and we saved four songs from that tape. And uh, it is what it is, you know. It's just a... The Lost Songs, that's what we call it, The Lost Songs. Yep. Yep. I like it. Everybody seems to get an airplay. Yeah. The song Stepping on the Light's been getting played, no answer. A lot of people are, you know, texting me saying, you did this three, five, six, seven years ago? Yeah, I go, but it sounds so heavy. <laughs> it's so like, sounds so like now. Yeah. And I said, well, that's why I went to Germany. I went to Germany because, you know, there's all these books like Marx and, there's all these documentaries about the rainbow and the whiskey and the blah, 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 blah. And, but people forget it wasn't, the rock scene died in LA. The rock scene died between 1979. Van Halen got signed in 78. And it was like right after Van Halen got signed, it seemed like the whole rock scene died. It was alternative. Yeah. It was the Plimsolls and then there was X. Then there was the punk scene came in. Black Flag and the Mentors and the Weasels. And so you had a punk movement, yep. you had alternative music, you had New Wave and, and you're hearing My Sharona on the radio and Kaja Gugu. And so the rock thing kind of went away. That's why I went to Germany. Right. I set up, this is not the kind of music I like. So I'm just going to go to Germany where people are listening to Saxon and Accept and Scorpions. And, you know, that's why I went to Germany. Right. It was, the rock scene was raging over there. It was denim and leather. So, uh, and then when I came back to LA, it was still going on for a while and it took us about a year to get a foothold. Oh. And then suddenly you see people putting flyers on telephone poles, the poisons of the world and all the warrants. And, and I couldn't tell if there were chicks or dudes, you know, I didn't know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So what happened when you came back and you saw everyone flyering and you seeing the poisons and like, did you know you were going to fit right in and, and you, this is your time? No, I don't think so. I just, we still fought for another year to get a record deal. But then, you know, Cliff Bernstein is the one that called me and he had found breaking the chains in a store in an import store because it was only released in Germany. And it sold like 30,000, which is respectable for Germany. And he called me up. He hunted me down and said, I'd like to meet you. And I said, uh, okay. And I remember he, he said, I'll meet you at Tower Records. And you know, Clip, he's got scraggly long hair. He's got a beard. He kind of looks like a rabbi. I was expecting a guy to show up with a suit and tie, like a Bob Krasnow type, you know. And Clip just showed up with a t-shirt with a little spaghetti on it. And, 
pair of jeans and tennis shoes. And here he is, the, now the, the biggest manager in the world, billionaire guy. Wow. But uh, we met and he said, I want to I want to manage you. And we went to five record companies and they turned us all, they all turned us down. We did four showcases, they all turned us down. And finally, Tom Zutai um, saw us and uh, we actually showcased at the Roxy with Motley Crue. Wow. The night that Tom was there and he was going to sign Motley. And uh, he signed Motley Crue and we didn't get signed. So I was kind of depressed after that. George left the band. Juan left the band when joined Rat. So I was kind of in limbo for about six months. And then uh, finally, Electra, I, I just begged and pleaded and said, give us a shot. And they did. And they put out Breaking the Chains in America. That's awesome. And how many records, uh, you know, how many records did you sell to this? That's 10 million records ago. <laughs> okay. and I, can show, I can show you my living room. I've only got one record here in the studio because the whole living room's, I, I ran out of wall space. That's great. What and, is I don't, and I only put up the American ones. I don't put up the Japanese ones as much or Ireland or, because, you know, they use like velvet, red velvet backgrounds and they look like Elvis records or something. The Japanese, you know, you can always see a Japanese record, gold, because they used red velvet and the wood frames. They looked kind of cheesy. So I just have those stuck under the bed or something. You did good for yourself, Don. Uh, the world knows who you are. It's, I did all right. You did all right. All right. You know, you're definitely, uh, people are going to know about you in 100 years, that's for sure. <laughs> I don't know why uh, I've survived so many close calls with death and, I was thinking about that after my surgery and when my hand got paralyzed and I thought, well, how many times have I had a close call? <clears throat> I remember, you know, riding my Harley at 120 miles an hour, you know, down PCH with one eye open, you know. I mean, there's been a lot of close calls, you know, where I probably should have hated it or not made it. You know, uh, I remember in Ireland, we were on tour with Accept and it was during the Irish, uh, the Protestant Catholic, Catholic wars were going on in Belfast. And we came out of the club one night, all our belongings were on there, our passports, our money, our wallets, and our bus was burned to the ground. Whoa. Nothing, just four tires. Except bus was fine. They burned ours to the ground. And I was like, holy shit, everything we owned was on that bus. And I said, why'd they do that? And they said, because you got English license plates. Wow. The bus was rented from England and they saw the English plates and they torched said, screw that. They, they torched the bus. Well, that's crazy. Well, listen, I- We could have been, could have been on that bus sleeping. You know? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, that's good thing you weren't. Uh, the driver was, my driver was, apparently he just barely rolled out in time and, ended up in the hospital, but crazy shit like that. You never wow. know. There's been so many tragedies in rock and roll, you know, I mean, Cliff Burton, who would have thought that would have happened to Cliff in a bus accident. Sure. And then he got the people that die of alcohol poisoning, you know, and Def Leppard and Jenny Lanes. And so I, I feel lucky that, that I did go down that road too far, uh, you know, and, you know, go by so many, I don't understand this grunge thing, all these grunge that are not, you know, those singers that keep dying, you know? 
Yeah. I don't get it. Alice in Chains and Soundgarden, and it just goes on and on and on. I'm like, what's with all these singers offering themselves, you know? It's, uh, I'm too in love with life. I'm too happy. Hey, I'm up here on 13 acres of land on top of a mountain looking down at the city and uh, a bunch of big old German shepherds and my golden doodle Cody and life is good. So I'm yeah. happy. Yeah, that's awesome. And we're, we're, I'm happy. I mean, you, you and your, your band and all the different. Well, look at Mark, Mark. I mean, Mark started out just going to clubs and in East coast in Jersey and just shooting bands and fighting his way up. He didn't start out with a bunch of record companies paying him tons of money to shoot bands. Sure. You know, he had a, he had a camera and he just showed up at these, at uh, probably the, uh, you know, God, God knows what, uh, the clubs are all gone now on the East coast that we used to play at. And the, like, at the, what was that club, Mark? They had one of East and West in the East coast there. Lemours, Lemours. Lemours. Yeah. Lemours. Well, the, you know, the eighties, uh, which is all about what my book's about the decade that rocked. I mean, it really captured a time when it was almost, it was the innocence of, of our rock and roll. And, yeah. uh, and it's it, it's a it's a snapshot of 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 that decade, but it really it it shows the visual imagery on how it progressed throughout. Like you said, like the first time I shot you, you kind of had jeans and you were slick, and then you went into the the waiter outfits with the Ray Brown, and and then you you toned down again. But everyone right. in the same cycle. So looking at the book, you really see the visual imagery changing and how everyone kind of like followed the wave and kind of, you know, it's almost, it was a very complete decade. I don't think there's any yeah. other decade. Toward the end, I just went back to black. I was, I was back in black. Yeah. Back in that's black. all I wear now is my black leathers and a black jacket and a t-shirt. And that's the way I've been dressing now for years. That's just the way it is. Right. Things went in a big circle. I think even Motley toned it down, you know, and, uh, yeah. Well, Molly's different. They can get away with that. Nikki Six is a smart guy. You know, he he had a vision for the band. And I remember when we, the first time we played with them at the Roxy, you know, they were showcasing. And we showed up with equipment with duct tape all over. Our equipment's all broken. Our cymbals are broken. Our shit's, it's all garbage equipment. And they showed up with like brand new gear. We showed up in a 72 Chevy van and they showed up in a limousine. And I was like, who, who are these guys? I mean, I knew Mick Mars, but I knew Mick Mars like years before Motley Crue when he was in a band called Vendetta. Right. And I remember Mick saying, you know, I got this vision of a band I want to start and get in and I want to songs that direction I want to go. And Mick had a vision and so did Nicky and it worked out for them. Yeah, it sure and, did. And they're still working it out. <laughs> yeah, they were supposed to do a stadium tour this summer. Yeah. It's great for the for the, for rock and roll. It's 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 continuing, and uh, I'm not complaining. Yep. Any I just want this damn anything? pandemic to go away. Yeah. Any final words, Don? Uh, yeah, I want the pandemic to go away, and uh, I mean, I call this the apocalypse year. It's given me a lot to write about on this record lyrically. I mean, look, you got an election coming up in two months. You got the pandemic. You got social unrest. You got Black Lives Matter. You got people protesting burning cities down between Portland, Chicago, New York. Uh, the whole world has just gone to hell in a handbasket. But yet the stock market's at an all-time high. It's like, what the hell? Yeah. So, you know, it's been a strange year, but I, I would like to just 
it's been interesting because to think there's no rock bands touring right now, there's no concerts right now. I've done two this year during, during COVID we did two concerts, social, social distancing concerts. We tried it out, but I was just too paranoid all the airports and too many people around me. And I'm yeah. like, I'm, I'm playing Russian roulette here, but the only thing I can say is I just hope that everything works out, you know, between the government and who's going to be president and, they got to find a vaccine and get on with it. And uh, I'm, I'm embarrassed a little bit that it's the year 2020 and you would think we would be a little more enlightened by now, this civilization or not. Yeah. It's just like, you know, we've been around for a couple thousand years and everybody's still fighting. Everybody's still arguing. Everybody's got hate. It's, it's awful. Well, hopefully 2021 brings significant change and you guys and everyone else that wants to get back out on the road can hopefully do that around, you know, by this time next summer, hopefully it's back to somewhat what used to be normal, whatever that might be. And we can start kicking ass again. Yep. That's we're planning on having an album out in the spring, April, and we plan on hitting the road and, you know, going to Europe and hell in America and Japan and just, wrapping back up uh i get along great with george now you know all this infamous infighting i think uh, i don't know if it mark shot at a cover of him and i back to back with guns. yeah yeah that was with the, with the guns that was my shot and that was your shot yeah, was me and george at feuds and hitray you know holding guns and they really pumped that up between george and i's so uh he got two alpha males in a band it can be a problem sometimes but we worked it out. We're too old now. Yeah, right. So uh, we're just trying to make a living and make music. And I'm grateful. And then, you know, Jeff's been in Florida for 22 years. So everything worked out. You know, we miss Mick. Mick retired. He got out. He got out right before COVID. Yeah. We were on the road and Mick said, you know, I've been playing drums for 50 years, man. And my bones are hurting and my body's aching and I'm going home. I'm going to retire. So Mick retired. So We'll see how things play out in the next six months. Right. Well, listen, man, really. Oh, we still a ton of record. Man, my girlfriend loves from me. She loves your book. Oh, so, good, good. And I like the skateboard shot, too, with me on. With oh, my, yeah. With my yeah. blue spandex outfit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're, oh, I think that was from, uh, that was, that's what you wore on, on uh, American Bandstand. American Bandstand. That's my yeah. infamous, infamous. American Bandstand. Uh, I looked like I was a trapeze artist or something. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna put out some uh, new shirt line and and uh, brand it a little bit more and skateboards with Don's image and. Great. Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. I wish Thanks. you the best on that, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks hey. for all your support and like you know, you know, bringing me on the road and you know trusting me to take good pictures and hanging out and sharing girlfriends and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, at least I made sure that all the girls who I shared, I made sure they're all on the pill. <laughs> I, I, I hooked you up with you too, Don. I hooked you, you up. You guys are making me jealous right now. Yeah, you, yeah, you hooked, yeah, you hooked me up a few times. We were, we were sharing. And they, the Hobbit house was like the house of romance, man. It was like, <laughs> like it, was, it was tiny and small and cute yeah. and charming. And, 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 uh, and the hot tub didn't suck in the backyard either. No, it, yeah, it did, that didn't hurt. I mean, I guess the if the walls could talk and the place is still there, it's actually now been declared a historical landmark. I'm they can't sure. tear it down. 
sure. because uh, you know it's hard to explain. That's a place to shoot photos. Yeah. Is at the Hobbit House. I mean, with the koi so ponds and the yeah. brick walls, and I mean, it's beautiful there. Oh, yeah. I brought many a model there to say, "Hey, I got this great location," and then I'd end up at the Hobbit House, and uh, and then end up in the Hobbit in the Hobbit House, and then in the Hobbit bedroom. <laughs> in the hop, the tiny little Hobbit bedroom. Yes. Just enough room for two people or three. <laughs> <laughs> you guys right. take care.